0: Chapter 20 of Brenda, Her School, and Her Club. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eyebones. Brenda, Her School, and Her Club by Helen Leah Reed. Chapter 20 On the very afternoon when Nora and Belle had their falling out, Julia, after finishing her practicing, had gone for a walk. It was a bright, clear day, and she wished that she had some other girl to walk with her, for when by herself she never ventured beyond the entrance to the park. Although if her cousin or one of her school friends could go with her, her aunt had no objection to her walking in the park itself. One of the disadvantages of her friendship with Ruth Roberts lay in the fact that they could seldom be together in the afternoons. Their homes were too far apart. Sometimes, on Saturday, Julia would go to Roxbury to spend the half-day with Ruth, and on other Saturdays, Ruth would come in town to stay with Julia. It was hard to tell which was the pleasanter thing to do. At Roxbury, there were Ruth's ponies to drive, and in snowy weather, a chance to coast down a quiet side street. Out of town, there are many more chances for fun, for girls past sixteen, than can possibly be found in town or the city." When Ruth visited Julia, the two usually went to a concert accompanied by Mrs. Barlow, or, when she could not go, by one of their teachers. Of late, Julia had been in the habit of inviting Miss South to go with them. Brenda never went to these concerts. She was not fond of music, and she did not pretend to be. The only matinee that she cared for was the theatre, and as her parents were decidedly opposed to her going often to the play, she could not indulge herself half as much as she wished." On this particular afternoon Julia felt especially lonely. Doubtless no small part of her loneliness came from the fact that she was perfectly well aware of the presence of the four in the house, and though she had tried not even to say to herself that she felt slighted, she would have been less than human not to feel that her cousin had slighted her in not asking her to the club. To look up and not down, to look out and not in had been one of the lessons which her father had been most careful to teach her. It was therefore not very often that she let her thoughts dwell too long on her own affairs. But on this particular day she felt a little low-spirited, and inclined to regard herself as rather ill-used. Without realizing it, she had walked some distance into the park, and pausing to admire a bit of distant view that she was able to get from a slightly elevated point, she lingered a moment or two longer— to decide whether it was an animal or a child that she heard crying behind a small clump of bushes nearby when she found that there was no other way of satisfying herself she walked up to the bushes and there standing forlornly on three legs was a tiny italian greyhound "why you poor little thing" she cried "what is the matter" and as she spoke she took the little creature in her arms "'Is your leg broken or, or sprained or what?' she continued, though of course she did not respect any reply from a dog. The greyhound showed great joy at the sound of a friendly voice, and looked up in Julia's face with an expression of confidence and gratitude. "'Come, I am going to put you down on the ground for a minute to see whether you are hurt or only pretending.' So, suiting the action to the word, she stood the little dog on its feet. As if understanding her purpose— the little creature limped in front of her for a few steps, but the limp was so slight as to assure Julia that no serious accident had befallen the leg, which the dog still seemed inclined to hold off the ground. "'Now let me see if your collar tells who your owner is,' added Julia, and she bent down towards the dog. There, to her surprise, she read in clear letters, "'Fidessa, Madame du Launy." Now immediately Julia decided that the owner of the dog must be the mistress of the large house near the school, about which her friends were so curious. In an instant, too, she remembered that she had seen this little animal, or one very like it, taking its exercise in front of the great mysterious house. Julia had always been fond of dogs, and the little trembling creature appealed strongly to her. For a moment she almost wished that there were no name on the collar, so that she might have kept it with her for a day or two while finding the owner. "'Oh, if only it had no owner! What joy!' she thought, as she gazed into its dark eyes, "'to keep it for myself!' As things were, however, she felt that she ought to try to return it as soon as possible, and taking the little Fidessa in her arms, she retraced her steps to the other side of the city, where Madame Launy lived." as she stood in front of the house, which Nora and Brenda had tried so unsuccessfully to enter a few weeks before, the old timidity which at one time had been the trial of her life returned to her. Nevertheless, she rang the bell bravely, and was welcomed almost with open arms by the serious-faced servant who opened the door. He had seen Fidessa instantly, and if he had not, the little creature would have made herself quickly known. When Julia released her, She jumped about in the greatest excitement, whirling around in a circle, and then rushing ahead up the stairs. All trace of lameness seemed to be gone, greatly to Julia's surprise. While Fedessa was running ahead, the man, asking Julia to follow him, had shown her into a large room, rather dimly lighted. At first she thought that she was alone, but far at the other end of the apartment she saw a slight figure arise from the depths of a large armchair, as the man said solemnly, "'Madame Launy, here is a young lady who has found Fidessa.' At that moment the truant dog bounded into the room, and leaping up towards the old lady almost knocked her over. At the same moment a plain, elderly woman entered behind Fidessa, and Julia could see, as she stood in the doorway, that her eyes were rather red around the edges as if she had been weeping. "'Drop a blind or two, James,' said Madame Launy querulously, we are not at a funeral. Come nearer, my dear; I am sure that I am very much obliged to you for your trouble. Where did you find my poor little dog?" By this time the "poor little dog" was seated calmly on a cushion, with its slender front legs crossed, as if it, it had never given any one a moment's uneasiness. As Julia looked at the lady who had addressed her, she saw that she was, or had been, tall; her figure, though somewhat bent, gave the impression of stateliness. This aspect was increased by the large, towering structure which she wore on her head. Whether to be called cap or turban, it was hard to tell, with its folds of black silk, border of white lace, and two or three jeweled pins sticking in it. In answer to Madame Launy's question, Julia described finding the little dog in the park, and her fear at first lest it had hurt its leg. "'That is an old trick of Fidessa. "'said her mistress, smiling. "'When she is at all unhappy, "'she limps about on three legs as if really lame. "'She does not know her way about the city, "'and she is never supposed to go anywhere without her leash. "'As nearly as I can understand from Jane, "'Fidessa went out for a drive to-day under her care. "'When Jane left the carriage to call in a friend of hers "'who lives near the park, she forgot all about my dog.' "'Fidessa probably jumped out of the carriage to take a walk herself. "'But I must say that it seems most extraordinary that no one saw her, "'neither the coachman, the footman, nor Jane. "'When the carriage started home, none of them took the trouble "'to look under the rugs to see if she was there. "'Here Jane began to sniffle a little. "'Well,' continued Madame Delauny, "'it is a great wonder that she was not stolen or run over, poor little thing.' "'It's no thanks to you, Jane.' "'And she looked daggers at the unfortunate maid. "'It is a wonder, too, that none of you could find Fidessa, "'for I don't believe that the little thing was actually hiding, "'and you all three have come back with the report "'that it was impossible to find her.' "'While Madame Delauny was speaking, "'Julia said to herself that she would be very sorry "'to bring on herself a scolding from so sharp-voiced an old lady, "'and she could not help feeling sorry for Jane.' even though the latter had probably been careless. But now, with a sudden change of manner, Madame Launy turned toward the young girl. "'There is no reason, however, why you should suffer for Jane's misdeeds. "'Jane, ring the bell!' she cried. And then, in what seemed an incredibly short time, a man entered with the butler's tray, which he placed on a table in front of Madame Launy, while the latter invited Julia to come nearer and take a cup of tea. Now... As Julia sat there drinking tea from the quaintest of old fashioned china cups and eating slices of thin bread and butter and cakes that almost melted in her mouth, she could not help wondering what her friends and her cousin would say to see her actually seated in the house which most of them considered absolutely impossible to enter. In spite of the fact that the curtains at one or two windows had been raised a little, the room was still rather dark, and as she glanced about, Julia could see the pictures and furniture rather indistinctly. She noticed, however, that one wall was quite covered with large pieces of tapestry representing medieval battle scenes, and that on the opposite wall, on either side of a long mirror, there hung a number of family portraits. One of these, in a heavily gilded oval frame, represented a young girl of perhaps eighteen years, whose features, for some reason or other, seemed strangely familiar. In fact, there was something in the bright and earnest face that drew Julia's eyes so constantly towards it that she began to fear, lest Madame Launy would think it strange that she should pay close attention to it. It seemed a remarkable thing to Julia that she should find herself drinking tea under the roof of the mysterious house, about which the schoolgirls had shown so much curiosity. It seemed even stranger— that Madame Launy should prove to be altogether less of an ogre than she had been represented. Although a trembling hand and a rather weak voice betrayed her age, she talked brightly of various things, asking Julia about her school and her studies, and drawing the young girl out to talk about the western country in which she had spent so much time. On one subject, however, the old lady was silent. She said nothing in praise of Boston, either ancient or modern she never alluded to a single individual as my friend or my neighbor she spoke only of things and for the most part of things that had no connection with new england her questions about the school were evidently prompted by politeness in accordance with the general rule that one should show an interest in whatever probably interests the one with whom one is talking jane who stood not far from her mistress's chair and james who kept his post near the drawing-room door looked in amazement on madame Du launy and her young guest in all their remembrance and both had lived in the house more than twenty-five years they had never seen a young girl in conversation with their mistress indeed they had seen very few guests in that gloomy old drawing-room and certainly they had never known any one else to be asked to drink tea it was as pleasant as it was novel to madame de launy to have julia sitting with her and as for Fidessa, she altogether forgot the strict discipline under which she had been reared, and instead of sitting calmly on her cushion, she jumped up in Julia's lap, and from time to time planted a cold, moist little kiss on her cheek. When at last Julia rose to go, she had made a much longer visit than she should have, in view of the fact that the end of the afternoon was near at hand, and that she had some distance to go to reach her uncle's house. When, however, she rose to go— "'Madame Delaney begged her to wait a moment. "'I have ordered my carriage,' she added, "'for it is altogether too late for you to go home alone. "'Let me thank you very much for your kindness to my little Fidessa, "'for it would have been a very serious loss for me "'had she fallen into the wrong hands.' "'Then, when she saw James returning to announce that the carriage was ready, "'she added,' And if you will come again some afternoon, and spare an hour or so for me, you will add more than you can imagine to relieve my very monotonous life. Thus Julia, as she bade the old lady good-bye, felt that she had made a new friend, and in a very unexpected way. The carriage in which she rode home, though old-fashioned in shape, was delightfully comfortable, and when she descended from it at her uncle's door, still another surprise awaited her the footman placed in her hand a little box. "'With Madame de Launy's compliments,' he said. "'This, when she opened, proved to contain a delicately chased little envelope-opener, shaped like a tiny scimitar. "'Really,' she thought, "'I have had a most exciting adventure. "'Better than I deserve, "'for it was only this afternoon "'that I was feeling so cross and so disheartened, "'because the four would not include me in their club. "'But if I had been with them this afternoon— "'I could not have had this adventure.' "'Well, I certainly should call it an adventure,' said Mr. Barlow that evening, "'when she told him her experience with Madame de Launy. "'Why, even I, in all my years of residence here, "'have never had a glimpse of the old lady. "'I have sometimes thought it a pity that she should lead so solitary a life. "'But it's her own choice. "'They say she has a regular hermit disposition. "'How did it strike you, Julia?' "'Not that way, Uncle, at all, not at all, though she seemed very sad.' "'Perhaps she's repenting for the way she's neglected her grandchildren,' interposed Brenda. "'Are you sure that there are any grandchildren?' inquired Mrs. Barlow. "'Why, yes, of course, at least I suppose so,' answered Brenda. Mr. Barlow laughed. "'I'm afraid that you cannot make out a very strong case of cruelty to children, "'unless you can prove the existence of the children.' "'Oh, well,' interposed Mrs. Barlow, to prevent that ruffling of Brenda's feelings, which was sure to follow when she felt that someone was laughing at her. "'There is not much doubt that there are one or two grandchildren for whom Madame Delauny ought to do something. I forget what I have heard about it myself, but I could make inquiries.' "'Oh, Julia will soon be able to tell us more about Madame Delauny and her grandchildren than anybody else ever dreamed of,' said Brenda.' A little spitefully, as she left the room. Poor Brenda, murmured Mr. Barlow. Will she ever overcome that spirit of jealousy? End of chapter 20, recording by Eyebones, Brooklyn, New York.